there's a young man who's emotionally excited. See, he, he's got a date. Now, it's not the kind you're thinking. Maybe I should say he's got lunch plans. And he's excited because of the person he's meeting. This isn't a normal occurrence. I guess you could say this is a very abnormal occurrence, and that's why he's so excited. They're meeting at the Rock Springs restaurant for lunch. And the Rock Springs, it's not a formal supper club, but it's a pretty nice place with good food. And it's set in a cool environment off the river. But it's not the environment so much that he's excited about. He's excited about who he's meeting. He's meeting his dad. And he arrives before his dad, which isn't a surprise. Dad tends to run late in life. So he arrives. He's seated by the server, and he tells her he's waiting for one more person. And so he waits, and this is before cell phones. Yes, younger folks, the time did exist. He's just waiting. He's trying to be patient, but he's excited, so it's hard. The waitress, she comes over, and he asks about drinks, and he tells her what he would like, but that he's waiting for one more person before he's ready to order. And so he keeps waiting. Remember, Dad's always running late, and so this is just par for the course. The waitress checks back again, asking if the young man's ready to order, but he defers. I mean, you don't do that when you're waiting for someone. That's rude. You wait for them to arrive, and then you order together. But the minutes keep ticking, and the young man keeps waiting. And slowly, the nervous butterflies of excitement begin to turn to feelings of fear and anxiousness. He wonders, what's taking him so long? What if he doesn't come? The waitress, she's just doing her job, so she checks back in again and asks the young man if he wants to keep waiting or if he's ready to order. He says he'll keep waiting. But what started out as nervous excitement and turned to fear and anxiety is now turning to anger, maybe even hate. This young man didn't show it in the restaurant, but inside he was seething. Because it became evident that dad wasn't coming. Finally, he leaves. And he not only physically leaves the restaurant, he, emo- he also emotionally leaves. Not a place, but a person. His dad. He gets home. He immediately calls him da- his dad and lets him know in no uncertain terms that he is done. He's had enough. They're through. He tells them, don't call me. Don't reach out to me. Don't have anything to do with me. And the young man probably didn't fully understand what he meant at the time, but beyond, behind what he said was the truth that his dad had heard him so many times, disappointed him so many times, made excuses so many times, said, I'm sorry, so many times I'll change, had either physically and or emotionally not shown up so many times that he thought it'd be easier to do life without him. He was emotionally killing his relationship with his dad in order to protect his own heart. At least that's what he thought. It felt easier to cut off the source of pain than continue to endure it. You can open your eyes. See, that young man was me. In high school. And your story may be where you've never known the man who biologically is your dad. Your story might be one where your dad was physically present, but emotionally or verbally or 
sometimes even sexually abusive to you, your siblings, or your mom. Your story might be one where, for whatever reason, whatever you did, it wasn't good enough for your dad. Your story may be where you had a dad who never told you that he loved you, that he was proud of you, that you were good at something, or even the opposite, worse, that you weren't. Your story may have a dad who walked out on you or one who might well have walked out on you because though they were physically present, they were absent. Or, or by the grace of God, your story might have a father who was present physically, emotionally, and for some of you even spiritually. He showed up to cheer you on at your games growing up. He kissed you on the head as he put you down to bed at night. Maybe he had a special nickname for you. Something that reminded you of how much he loved you, how proud of you he was. Maybe he pointed you towards a relationship with God the Father through Christ. See, if that's your story, he made it fairly easy to see God as Father. And we praise God for that. Amen? We praise God for that. But what about the rest of us? What about those of us in our Kettlebrook family who didn't have that kind of God? See, were we to complete the phrase that we're talking about in this series, God is, we could complete it in all sorts of ways. We could use all these fancy omni words. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. He's omnipowerful. He's all-powerful. There's nothing he can't do. He's omniscient. He knows all things. We could use all sorts of adjectives, describers, things that would be true and things that encompass who God is, but I can't think of a single descriptor more powerful for God, a single adjective, than God is Father. God is Father. It's the scandalous term that Jesus even used as an intimate term for his dad himself. And family, no matter who your earthly father was, no matter what he didn't or did do, didn't say or or did say, uh, no matter what he missed or didn't miss, every single one of us can have an amazing father. His name is God. And no matter what you experience from your earthly father, you too can be fathered by God. And that's what we're going to look at as we continue our series, God Is, this morning. So we're going to turn to Psalm 103, verses 11 through 18, and I'm going to invite you to turn there with me as we look at God as Father. Psalm 103, verses 11 through 18, as we look at God as Father. And as we do, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather together. I know that For myself and others included, uh, this is an emotive subject because it contains each of our stories. I pray that you would be kind and gracious to us and that your spirit um, would speak loudly to our hearts. That no matter what we have, have an experience from our earthly father, you desire to be our heavenly father. And we pray this in his name. Amen. 
Let's look at Psalm 103, and we're going to read verses 11 through 18 together, starting in verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. I'm going to have someone grab me a Kleenex, if you can, while you think of it. Hey, look at that. A beautiful woman in aisle three with a Kleenex. Thank you, love. Look at how this passage describes God. Look at verse 11. His love is as great as the heavens are above the earth. He has compassion just like a father does for his children, we read. He knows how we're formed, that we are dust. His love is from everlasting to everlasting, and his righteousness with his followers' children's children in in some way. And these are amazingly true character qualities of God. As I was reading this passage, though, there's this phrase that keeps getting repeated that I I couldn't get past, and I began to wonder. I wonder if this phrase is essential to knowing God as Father. And it's kind of a phrase you wouldn't necessarily think would be. But I'm going to read, and I want you to keep reading when I stop, just the phrase. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, verse 11, so great is his love for those who fear him. Verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love, verse 17, is with those who fear him. Now, if I say that and we're talking about God as father, anybody think it weird that I bring up that phrase? It seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? A little bit. Fear him. Right. And um, I wonder if uh, when we think about fearing God, if a term that we don't use a lot in our English vocabulary, but that's more true than fear would be this term revere. Okay, and if we look up what revere means, it means to feel a deep respect or an admiration for something or we could say someone. This is true to the biblical definition of when it says fearing God, it means to revere him, to deeply respect to deeply admire him. See, when I say this, it's not saying what unfortunately some of you maybe all too often experienced growing up, that you feared your dad, but there wasn't a deep respect and a deep admiration. There was a, you better do what I say or else. See, fear in the biblical sense is different. It's an internal respect or an admiration. And I wonder if we could fall on two sides of a continuum that would be unhealthy when we think about God is, and especially God is Father. See, on this one side, if you put up that next slide, on this one slide, or side, not slide, we could feel cavalier towards God. That's not a term we use a lot anymore either, right? But when I think about feeling cavalier towards God, we're flippant towards him. We're casual towards him. If you're a parent, have you ever heard whatever? I mean, I haven't, but, you know, I know some of you have. You've heard the term whatever, right? 
maybe this is how we could feel towards God. Like there isn't a deep sense of admiration or, or respect towards him. There's, he, he's there. We believe he exists, but we're flippant. We're casual. We're maybe even whatever in our relationship towards him. And maybe on the other side of the continuum or the spectrum, we could literally fear him where we think he's out to get us, where we think he's out to harm us, where we think we better do what he says or else, right? Like he's going he's gonna to pound us. And that's an unhealthy sense of fearing God too. Now, on the one hand, we can think about God and we can think about him in cavalier terms, even as father. On the other hand, we can think about God and we can think about him in fearful terms, like he's out to get me especially as relating to Father. And I wonder, though, if and where I'm going with this is I looked at what this word means to fear God. It does mean revere. So I'm not just making this up. It means to deeply respect, to deeply revere God. And here's my question. If we have either of these attitudes towards God, if we're cavalier towards God, whatever. If we fear God, he's going to get me. If we have either of these attitudes, can we really relate to him as father? Can we really relate to him as father? And do you ever notice how just in culture in general, the culture of fathering and attitudes towards fathering kind of swings in pendulums? If you were in my mom's generation, dad was to be feared, this side feared, right? If you're in our generation, maybe sometimes too much, dad is thought of in whatever terms, cavalier, right? Culture at large swings back and forth. But family, my question is, if we think about God either cavalierly or fear-based, can we relate to him as dad? So if we were to put that continuum up, that spectrum up, where would you find yourself on that? When you complete it, God is, and specifically when I say God is father, where would you put yourself on that continuum. And how similar is where you would put yourself on that continuum and how you view God as dad to how you view your own dad. See, what we're aiming for is revering God, for having such a deep respect and admiration for him that we're able to relate to him as father, that we're able to relate to him as father and while you were growing up god's intent for your dad was that he would model to you in everyday life what what god was like through how he treated you through what he said to you through the nonverbals communicated to you your dad was constantly forming your view of what you thought god was like and how easy or hard it would be to god, see god as father notice i didn't say impossible but how easy or hard it would be to see God as Father. In his book, Not Forsaken, Louis Giglio says this. If you could put up that next slide for me. Acts 17, Acts 17, 25 to 28, talks about how God gives everyone life and breath and everything else. I think that's the second slide, isn't it? It is? Okay, and that God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. And how he is not far from any one of us. That's a repeat of the same idea that we were made by God and for God. And because of that, we are constantly drawn toward him. 
The language of Acts 17 doesn't portray God as some sinister being with a twisted sense of humor, making us stumble through the night in search of him. Rather, the picture is of what sin has done to you and me, blinding us from seeing the one who fashioned us by and for himself as we grasp for lesser things that can ultimately satisfy the longings in our hearts. Who are we looking for? Where? Fortunately, Acts 17 says that God is not far from any of us. And a little later in the knowledge of the Holy Tozer added this thought, which goes along with Acts 17. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. I would agree with that. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. But thankfully, no matter the father we did or didn't have, that you did or didn't have, Scripture, you know what? It presents a true model of God the Father seen in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus says this in John 14. Let's put up that next slide. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, granted, none of us have seen physically Jesus, but we've experienced him. And if we've experienced and can experience Jesus, we can experience the Father. See, because there I am in him and he is in me, Jesus says. So when we hear Matthew chapter 9 talk about Jesus saying when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and, and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We're seeing the heart of the Father. He wants to have compassion on us and, and shepherd us. He wants to have, he desires to have relationship with us. And relationship with God the Father is through placing our full trust in his son, Jesus Christ. And I want to be clear about a spiritual truth. Without relationship with God the Father, through us placing our full trust in his son, Jesus Christ, the Spirit is not going to be able to impress upon our hearts that God the Father's love is as high as the heavens are above the earth, as verse 11 says. The Spirit's not going to be able to impress upon our hearts and empower them to believe that God is compassionate like a father is on his children as we read about in this psalm. We're not going to experience God the Father's endless love as verse 17 talks about because we're going to be stuck thinking about and relating to God as Father in terms that are either cavalier and don't give them the respect and admiration that they're due, or, or fear-based, where we run and hide from God, thinking he's out to get us. Relating to God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ, yes, it removes our transgressions from us, as verse 12 in this passage talks about. But it also opens our hearts to experience his deep love. John Eldridge says it this way in his book, fathered by God, and he's talking about kind of the longings of a boy's heart as they're growing up. But I'm pretty sure it's not too different for young women. He says this, A boy yearns to know that he's prized. And without this bedrock of affirmation, this core of assurance, a man will move unsteadily through the rest of his life, trying to prove his worth and earn belovedness through performance or achievement, through sex or in a thousand other ways. Quite often, he doesn't know this is his search. He simply finds himself uncertain in some core place inside, ruled by fears and the opinions of others, yearning for someone to notice him. 
He longs for comfort and it makes him uneasy because at 37 or 51, shouldn't he be beyond that now? A young place in his heart is yearning for something he never received. A young place in his heart is yearning for something he never received. And family, some of us are gathered here this morning and we're still yearning. We're yearning to be noticed, to be recognized, and to be affirmed. And let me just say, those yearnings aren't wrong. And I just want to tell you, though, no matter who your dad was or wasn't, you can be recognized, affirmed. You have the opportunity to have a dad who always has and who always will notice. It just might not be the one you're thinking of. It's God. And I understand. I mean, some of you, you may be thinking, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but if God was everything you're saying about him and everything this psalm says about him, his love is as high as the heavens are above the earth. He has compassion as a father does it on his kids. His, his love is from everlasting to everlasting. It never ends. It never stops. Like if these things are true, then why did I experience what I experienced at the hands of my dad? It doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Things I didn't have control over, things that I didn't choose, things that weren't my fault. I wish I had a really good answer besides brokenness. I don't know why those things happened, and I don't know why your dad hurt you, either through things done or not done, said or not said. But what I do know with certainty is that God the Father noticed. And he noticed enough to where he pursued relationship with you by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, from heaven to earth to heal the brokenness of the world, to pay for all the brokenness that you experience, but also to heal the brokenness of your heart. See, God the Father, he says these amazing words of his son. And this is before Jesus had really done anything, quote-unquote, to write home about. No miracles yet. No turning these bread and loaves into all this food. None of that. Before any of that, he says three things in Matthew chapter 3. He says, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. He affirms his identity as his son and that he is his dad. And the amazing truth is that when we place our full trust in Jesus Christ, those words aren't just Jesus's. Those words are ours. Those words are available to any and every single one of us because they're not predicated on us. They're predicated on him and our trust in him. And again, no matter what we've experienced, good or bad, those can be our words. See, through relationally knowing God as Father, we can receive the affirmation that was lacking from our dads. Through relationally knowing God as Father, we can receive the blessing that was lacking from our dads. We can receive the confidence that was lacking from our dads. We can receive the worth that was lacking. Through knowing God relationally as Father, we can experience what this passage says to be true about his unending love and compassion and everlasting to everlasting righteousness and love. Through knowing God relationally as Father, we can come to not view him cavalierly, whatever, to not fear him. I better run and hide. 
but to revere him, that he's so worthy of great admiration and respect because he's just so good. Because he's just so good. If you look back at verse 14, for he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we're dust. God gets this. We're mortal. He's not. We fail sometimes often. We struggle sometimes often. We revere other people or other things sometimes often. We've been hurt many times. We'll be hurt again. But he also knows no matter what wounds we've experienced that he can heal. No matter what sin we've committed, he can forgive it. No matter what courage we need, he can give it. See, if we know him relationally as God our Father, and because of that we revere him, we're experiencing his great love for us. This passage promises it. And here's how I know that you can experience this too. Because I did. As a college-age sophomore, I experienced and began to and have been growing and experiencing the love of the Father ever since. And I had some thick concrete walls of anger and hurt built up. They were thick. But I experienced it. And no matter how thick those walls of concrete anger and hurt were, they couldn't withstand the relentless pursuit of a God who loved me enough to send his son on my behalf. They couldn't. I couldn't block them out. Coincidentally, then, I could no longer block my dad out. It would hurt me either. I pursued reconciliation with him. We don't have an amazing relationship now, but we have a relationship. I want to show you a picture. I want to show you a picture. So if I asked you who you saw in this picture, um, this could have been yesterday, though this was last winter. Okay, you would tell me you saw me, right? This is me here. Some of you who know me or, or know my family well, you would say, this is my mom. Okay, this is a picture we took last winter break. This is in a diner at a, at a skating place that they have. They, they kind of flood on a river there. It's pretty cool. But this is my mom. This is the woman who got pregnant at 19. And because my dad was uh, addicted to drugs and alcohol, she, she didn't connect with him. She didn't stay with him. She didn't marry him. She raised me on her own probably making twenty to $25,000 a year. This is my hero growing up. You'd also see my wife, Libby. You'd see my son, Ben. You'd see my daughter, Maya. You'd see my family. And yet, if you didn't know my full story, you'd miss the most important person in that picture. Guess who it is? God. My father. The one who has and who continues to father me and who continues to meet those deep longings of my heart with his love, with his his compassion so that I can hopefully imperfectly, but progressively, point my kids and point others to him. I'll never forget, I've told this before, but I'll never forget, and I can say this because my son's at a retreat. I can't embarrass him then because he's not here. I can, but just don't tell him. He was a little boy, 
he was five or six, maybe even younger than that. It's a long time ago, but we're in our garage, and as happens, the most significant conversations happen not as planned, but as a reaction. And, and he said, Dad, I'm going to be a good dad someday. And I said, yeah, why is that? And he said, because you've been good to me. Because, and why that's powerful is because I know there's many times I haven't been good to him, right? I know there's many times I haven't been good to him. But family, the only thing really extraordinary about me or my story is my God. Is my dad. And I know no matter what you've experienced, no matter what your story is, God the Father is pursuing you. He's pursuing you. Okay, I'm going to pull it together and try and apply this. All right? I'm going to pull it together and try and apply it. First, there's some of us gathered here this morning, and especially dads. We hear a message like this, and we feel deep shame or guilt, possibly, over things that we can't go back and change. I want to remind you of verses 11 and 12 in this passage. Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. There's ways we all blow it. And we'll continue to. But those who don't have to define us. If you place your trust in God, through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. There still might be consequences right here and now because of that, relationally maybe, but your sins are forgiven in God's eyes. So as far as it depends upon you, you can be at peace with your kids. Now, if that's you, if there's deep shame, if there's regret, if there's guilt present, how do you respond to that? Man, I don't know, but we could sit down and talk about it. You could pray to God and ask him what he'd have you do about that. There's so many ways to respond to that. I don't want to give lip service and be flippant, be cavalier in that answer. Maybe we could process that. For sure, you could pray to God and ask him about next steps he would have you take. Second, every single one of us in this family needs to grow in our experience of God the Father. None of us ever arrives in this. It's a continual journey. I'm really in process in this. I'm probably really in process in that compassion piece. It's not a high gift of mine. But how many of us need to grow as, as father, as mother, as people in compassion? I do. How many of us need to, as Dave's going to talk about next week, be slower to anger? I don't know about you, but I do. Right? How many of us as parents or just people need to not treat others as their sin deserves? Again, as Dave's going to talk about next week. I do. I do. And this flows from continuing to grow in our understanding and our experience of God as our Father. God doesn't ask us to be perfect people. He asks us to be faithful people, whether that be moms, whether that be dads, whether that be followers of his. But I want to speak especially to the dads and the moms, the parents. What if, I think this, this just has a different power with dad, though. 
Moms and dads are equally important, but it has a different power with that. What if when we screwed up, and I need to do this more, I have done this, I need to do this more regularly, but what if when we screw up, we, when we weren't patient, when we punished too severely, when whatever, the, the, the way that God the Father has talked about here, we do the opposite. What if we went to our kids and said in my instance, Maya, I'm so sorry. I was too strict. I was too stern with you in that instance. I, I didn't treat you <laughs> the way your sins deserve. I actually treated you more. I'm sorry about that. Please forgive me. And then we added, I didn't show you what God was like in that instance. Please forgive me. And then we restored the relationship by praying with them. Father, thank you for my daughter. Thank you that you know her, you love her. Thank you that my role is to point her to you. Thank you for forgiving me that I didn't do it in that instance, but please empower me the next time to do it differently. Thank you for her. We pray this in Jesus' name. Then as a dad, not only are we repairing that relationship, but we're pointing her to her true dad, who's always going to be there even when we can't and even when we won't her heavenly father second to last i want to speak to the power of other men who know god as father blessing our family members i can still remember through family members at kettlebrook sitting across the table and having them affirm and speak into my life and there is just huge power in that i mean there's been times that i've been across the table with another man and i'm like don't do it Don't let it flow. Don't let it flow. Like, that's weak. Don't cry. Because it's so powerful. If you have had a dad who's poured into you in the way that God the Father is, not perfectly but well, don't waste that. Pay that forward to other men and to other women and speak into their life. Bless them. Encourage them. Point them to God the Father. That is such a gift. And you have such an important role to bless our family members in that way. Lastly, and this is a hard one, you're not responsible for anything, in essence, that was done to you, right, that you didn't choose. But we're all left with, here's where we're at right now. Here's how I view God, formed by my experiences. But God would want you to lean into that and find his love, find his compassion, find relating to him as father from here on out. Sometimes it's hard work going backwards to go forward, but it's so worth it. If that's where you find yourself, I'd encourage you, reach out to me. Reach out to someone else you trust to process, to pray, to begin the restoration process of seeing God as dad. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you desire to be our dad, thank you that you are a father who your love is as high as the heavens are above the earth, that your compassion is like the compassion of a father for his child, that your love is from everlasting to everlasting. You're slow to anger. You don't treat us as our sins deserve. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you taken our sins away from us. Father, we're all at different points of our understanding of you as dad, but I pray that each one of us would be able to take one step from this morning closer to believing that and living in that reality and helping others to do the same. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.